Well, good morning. Welcome to chapel. A couple quick announcements for us as we gather together. First, we have um, some visitors with us this morning. Would you join me in welcoming our red carpet visitors? Welcome to campus. We hope you're enjoying your time um, with our community. Um, Also, just a couple reminders, this is the last week for the fall musical, and um, also be joining your sports teams as they have a couple home games um, this weekend as well. We also have one video announcement this morning from the Social Work Club. They have an event that they're putting on next week, Um, so we're going to show a video for them um, at this time. My life matters, so I spoke up. It is estimated that approximately 3 million incidents of domestic violence are reported each year in the United States. Violence is not the solution. It's the problem. Abusers choose to abuse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. We say no more because our voices are no longer silenced by fear. One in two female murder victims are killed by their male partners, often during an ongoing abusive relationship. Until you are broken, you don't know what you were made of. One person abused is one too many. I take a stand against domestic violence. We all play a role in ending violence. Find yours. Sorry won't take away the pain. Break the silence and stop the violence. A house where a woman is unsafe is not a home. No more. No more. No more! My name is AJ Jimenez, the president of the Student Association of Social Workers here at ENC. Together we stand against domestic violence and we say no more. One person abused is one too many. Together we will stand to end domestic violence and end sexual assault. Together we all say no more. next week, but would you join with me as we, um, as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning? God, we come before you um, this morning so grateful, um, again, Lord, to be, um, to be your children, to be part of this community, um, and to be here in your presence. And Lord, we do ask that you would just be with us as we are gathered together as a community, Lord, that um, whatever distractions and worries going on in our life, God, um, we would be able to place before you um, and receive your peace. So be with us this morning, Lord, as we enter into worship. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Man, see, this is what I'm saying. I always feel like every time I come up here, I'm all by myself. So not fun. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My name is J.D. Branke. I'm one of the chaplains here at Eastern Nazarene College, and for our red carpet guests, we're really excited that you are here. Uh, It's going to be kind of a different kind of chapel, but you know what? You get to kind of see who we really are and experience uh, the ways that we experience God together as a community. And so this morning, um, we're going to kind of get in deep, okay? We're going to go real and honest from the beginning. Uh, And I'm going to start with reading some scripture. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. So I just want you to listen, okay? Listen to the word of God. Don't worry about turning to it. Don't worry about finding it. This is from Acts chapter 1 and 2. There's selections all throughout. I'm going to start at verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, 
Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now this is Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said that they are filled with new wine. And one last passage for us. This is from Acts 2, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, so that no one had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to, I want you to do something interestingly for me today. For those of you guys who are comfortable, I want you to pray for me as I pray for you. This is a sermon that um, surprised me. I had one all prepared. You know, you know, when you're like, God, I have this one ready. It was funny, too. Had some really cool stories and stuff. And then on Wednesday, God said, no, I don't want you to talk about that, J.D. I want you to talk about something else. And so I, I hate when he does that, but that's what he did. So we started all over again, me and God. I want to share with you something that's really, really dear to my heart. I believe that in each of you, there's power. Because you're sons and daughters of the king. When you pray, heaven listens. And so this morning, I'm going to pray for you by extending my hand. I want you to extend your hand for me. And as I pray, I want you to pray for me. Pray that God's will would be done in this place and that we would hear him together. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this moment in time. I pray for your Holy Spirit, God, to fill this place. God, will you speak as only you can. Uh, God, I offer myself and my words uh, you know, dear God, the hours and minutes and days I have poured into praying for this community, Lord, for this moment. And so, Lord, will you show up and do all that you can do? I pray for open hearts, fertile hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would inspire us to follow you in new ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray on all God's people said, amen. The last time I came up here, I shared a bit about my personal life. Right? I talked about home clothes and bed clothes. And for those of you guys who weren't here last time, we were talking about unity. And in one of the examples, I said that 
after I got married, my life changed quite a bit. And it changed because I have this system. Like right now, I'm in my outside clothes. But when I go home, I have to get into my home clothes and then into my bed clothes. And um, people were like, JD, are you serious? Like, is this a real thing? Does this really happen? And so I wanted to show you guys. Uh, this is a picture of my home clothes, okay? The first one. There I am. Right? This is the winter version of the home clothes. We've got like a nice little flannel sweater, some blue pants, and those L.L. Bean winter soft booties. Does anyone know about that? Look, if you... I'm pretty sure that those are going to be in heaven. Like, we're all going to have a pair because they're unbelievably comfortable, okay? And they keep your feet warm. And the, and the amazing thing is because they're like wool or sheepskin or something, they don't ever smell bad. I know because I, I smelled them throughout the years, and they, they just don't smell bad. They're amazing, okay? So that's my home clothes. Kanan, let's go to my bed clothes. These are my bed clothes. No booties in bed because that's just weird, okay? Um, pants, shirt. And, and you can tell I have a very confused look on my face. And the reason why I'm confused is because I still can't tell which are my home clothes and which are my bed clothes. Like, if you look at both of the pictures, right, they look kind of exactly the same. But this is a reality of my life, okay? And, and, and now some people were like, JD, I don't know if, you know, especially guys were coming up to me and they were saying, I don't know if, like, I don't know if I could do that, you know? I don't know if I could, I could change my life in such a way and... And I, you know, I just want to give those guys out there a piece of advice. Like if you're out there and you're, let me, let me say this first of all, okay? And this is for all the women and ladies and sisters in the church. When, when you meet an incredible woman, your life is going to change. Okay. It should change. All right. Because that's just a part of the process. All right. When I met my wife, she's beautiful, amazing, smart, wise. Look, I I used to be the kind of guy who dressed in like t-shirts and shorts, I thought, I thought a romantic date was going to Wendy's. See what I'm saying? See the problem? Now we know who we're talking to, okay? All right? Listen, listen. Here's the, here's the word of advice, okay? Your life is going to change when you meet an incredible woman. That's just a part of the process. And if you're out there and you're saying, J.D., I'm a guy, I'm going to do me, I'm fresh and fabulous, and if she doesn't accept me for who I am, then that's too bad. She should like my gym clothes and my, uh, you know, Wendy's dinner. She should like all of that. And if that is you, all I want to say to you is that that's probably why you're still single. Okay? That's it. So just keep an open mind. Okay? Just keep an open mind. This is all I'm saying. Is all I'm saying. So last time we talked about unity, okay? And we talked about that. I talked about that because I said that when we are living in Christian community, when you're in relationship with people, my life affects that person, their life affects mine. And we preached, I preached from Philippians 2, and we looked at the fact that unity is unnatural, right? We said that unity is completely against our human nature. And we said that Paul presents these concepts of unity, saying that we should, we should look at our worth and the worth of the individual in a different way, that our actions should, uh, we should be mindful of them because they, it affects each other. And then we said that the center of unity was Christ, that ultimately as we give our life to Christ and as we look at his example and the ways that he loved us and came to us, we're able to live into the unity that he desires for us. And I told you that there is no unity without sacrifice or suffering. And so today, look, we're going to continue in this discussion of unity by looking at one of the best examples of unity within the Bible. If you're going through the Bible, the early church is one of the best, absolute best. And when we read about the early church, many people start at Acts 2, 42 through 47, which was the last passage that I read. 
And it's a passage that describes this incredible community. They're united in purpose. They're united in love. And they are serving and doing incredible things in the world. And we look at that and we say, oh, we should try to be like that. But this morning, I want us to go back to the beginnings of that community. Because they weren't always that way. And I want us to look at the roots for how that church became so unified. And what I want to propose to you is that the reason for their unity was because of what they experienced in the upper room. Now, I don't usually do sermon titles. That's not my thing. I know some of you guys come from traditions where that's a thing. But if I had a title for this one, I would say, what happens in the upper room never stays in the upper room. So we're going to be talking about the upper room this morning. And what we're going to find is that there is no unity without an upper room experience. And as we delve into scripture, we're going to observe three things. We're going to observe, firstly, that the upper room is a place of gathering. Secondly, that the upper room is a place of waiting. And thirdly, that the upper room is a place of receiving. All right, so the upper room is a place of gathering. Now, in order for us to understand what's really happening in this scripture, we have to kind of understand the context of what's going on. All right, we all know the story of Jesus came to this earth, died, crucified. Jesus is resurrected, okay? And now he is, is hanging out with his disciples, and he's been with them for about 40 days. And he tells them, look, I'm going to leave, okay? But you stay here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you in power. And so Jesus leaves. He ascends into heaven, kind of like disappears into the cloud, like all of our information every day. So Jesus does that. He's gone. And now the disciples are, that community is kind of, think about how they're feeling. It's a mix of different things, right? First of all, they were devastated when Jesus died. But then he rose from the dead, and now they're elated and excited. But then now they're like, okay, your kingdom is here. We're going to take over things. And you're like establishing your rule. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go, but I'll come back. And he goes. He doesn't say anything about when he's coming back. He doesn't say anything about what's going to happen to them. All he says is stay in Jerusalem until something happens. And when that happens, you'll know what it is. And he disappears. So that's the context, right? And, and that's the context of this uproom passage. It says that these disciples, and there were about 120 of them, gathered in this upper room, following Jesus' instructions, obeying him. Now, when we come to scripture, a lot of times I think we think the gathering of, of saints, or we look at art, right? And it's like a positive thing. Like when you look at art, there's people like Peter and John and James and all of those people, they have like little halos, right? And, and sometimes in our mind, when we think of like, people in the Bible gathering, we think, oh yeah, they're like really happy and joyful and blessed and shining. But remember, context is key. This community, Jesus has just left them again. They have no clue why they're there. I'm sure that a lot of them felt fear and anxiety and disappointment. I'm sure a lot of them were trying to figure out what was going to happen with their lives because they left everything to follow Christ. If we continue in chapter 1, you also see that they have to deal with the fact that one of their own Judas betrayed them. And now I know Judas gets a bad rep, but we have to understand he was a part of their family, their clique. They would have never saw Judas doing something like that. The feelings of disappointment and pain and, and, and questions and now having to replace him were all things that they experienced in the upper room. It wasn't a gathering of joyful anticipation or hope, but it was really a gathering of fear, anxiety, brokenness, heartache. I find it funny that 
whenever we gather like this as a Christian community or whenever we gather in church, many times we come in like we're all happy and joyful. How does this transpire? Let me explain. I go to someone and I say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And they're like, oh, I'm good. You know, I'm great. Yeah, really? What's going on in your life? You know, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. God is. Okay. I go to someone else. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. JD, how are you? Right? You know that deflection question where you're like, okay, something's going on, but not really tell me what's happening. And for some reason, whenever we come and we gather, there's this desire to want to present ourselves as being more than okay. What's so funny is that we all are going through the same things. We all have questions of doubt, fear, anxiety, moments where we are like, God, where are you? God, I'm struggling. I, I can't figure out what you're doing in my life. I can't figure out what you're doing in our school. I can't figure out what you're doing in our family. And when we show up, when we gather, the answer is, I'm fine. I'm good. God is good. He's faithful. I'm trusting in him. You see, the upper room is a place of gathering, but it's not the kind of gathering you'd expect. It's a place where we can come and be honest and real about ourselves. The things that we're struggling with. It's a place where we can come and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this and I need a little bit of prayer. I'm entering into this season and I can't quite figure things out. You know, our campus community is going through transition and man, all of these questions and fears and anxieties, all of that stuff, that goes into that upper room. And so we see, first of all, that the upper room is a place of gathering. But the second thing is that the upper room is a place of waiting. Now, waiting in our culture is so unbelievably difficult. Why is it difficult? Why? Because we have instant everything, okay? Like, when I was your guys' age, the only thing that was instant was, like, macaroni. You know, it's, that actually is, like, comprised nearly of all my college diet. Microwave for two minutes, little powdered cheese, you're good. I heard this interesting story the other day. Soup, okay? Campbell's soup, you know, soup in a can kind of a thing. They have this thing now where you can take soup and you could use a Keurig to make soup, right? You, like, put, like, the broth in the thing and then the water comes down and it hits, like, the, and it's kind of like instant noodles, but, like, the soup version of instant noodles, and bam, instant soup. It blows my mind, right? I teach a first-year experience class, and there are times where, like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to say really, something really clever and try to trick up my students, and so I'll ask them a really hard question, you know, something really profound and crazy. Who said this or blah, blah, blah? And every time, they, they get the answers right. And I started asking myself, why, why is this the case? Is it that they're really that smart? Now, you guys are smart, but I don't know if you're that smart. They're out there. I love y'all. You know I do. And so I started paying attention to what happened after I asked the question, and guess what? Everyone's looking on their phones. You have information at the tip of your fingertips. If you want it, you can get it right away, right? If you, if you, if you go to a restaurant and it's closed, you can go somewhere else, right? Instant everything. I want it now, and if I don't get it, I'm out. I'll find another way to get it. Even intimacy and relationships are the same way. I, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I actually think that there's something beautiful about two people who meet and pray See God's will while they're dating. Don't jump relational boundaries or, or go to places intimately, but, but wait. Get to know one another. Get to connect on a deeper level. And then when you make your vows in front of everyone, and then you go into that wedding chamber, you know what? God's the one who blesses that night because of faithfulness. But today, 
You could Google something, look something up. Readily available, instant intimacy. Never mind the objectification of women and the sin that's connected to that. Or you could text someone and say, Netflix and chill. You guys laugh because you thought I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> See, you guys just self-incriminated yourself. Hey, pray. You know what I'm talking about. It's a true statement. And it's like instant. Forget relational connectivity. Forget the fact that when that happens, part of your soul goes away. Waiting is hard. But if we say that Jesus is Lord, listen, waiting is a part of the Christian journey. If he's Lord of our life, he's not going to go on our terms or he's not going to allow us to dictate how things happen. He will operate when he wants to, speak when he wants to, answer when he wants to. And we struggle with waiting because it's difficult. And some of us think that it's a passive act, right? I have to do something. I have to move. Well, in this generation, in this time, staying still is actually much harder than moving around. We are so triggered and wired to respond and react to advertisements, all of these things, the things that are happening in our life, that just staying in a place and waiting and not moving is difficult. Now, these disciples, these 120 people, some people ask the question, well, J.D., how long did they wait, right? They went into the upper room, but how long were they there before the Holy Spirit showed up? Scholars place it to around 10 days. Can you imagine being there for 10 days, not knowing what was going to happen, what God was going to do while you were there? I mean, you could play games, you can say things, you can get food. Most of us would wait 10 minutes and we'd be out. Waiting is hard to do. But these disciples gathered and they were waiting in hope. They were waiting in prayer because they believed that God would be faithful. The upper room is a place of waiting. Thirdly, the upper room is a place of receiving. In Acts chapter 2, we see this passage, right? When the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit showed up in power, and an amazing thing happened. People started speaking in tongues, and there were all these other people of other nationalities, and they started saying, why are these Galileans speaking in our language? And it was like this divine mystery. Now, I come from a Pentecostal background, Pentecostal Wesleyan background, to be more specific. And so I understand when we talk about this passage, for the Pentecostals out there, it means something. We believe in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God can move. And, and, and I'm not going to get too much into the theology of all of that because all of us come from different traditions. And I want to respect that. There are some Christian traditions that are totally valid that believe that it was just for that moment in time. But I think the lesson here that we need to learn as a Christian community, regardless of where we come from, is that, is that when God's people gather and when they wait and the Holy Spirit shows up, Everything changes. Lives change. People change. Cities change. Nations change. You see, as a result of this, the thing that we see immediately afterward is that there's a group of people outside, and they're like, what's going on? And and guys like, I don't know. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they're probably drinking. They're just drunk. That's why they're like talking all this babble. And Peter gets up, and he starts to preach. I wish I could read his whole sermon, but I really can't do that, okay? But this Peter is the same one who would say things really brashly and insensitively, unwisely sometimes. Remember, Jesus said, I have to die. And he said, no, no, Lord, don't die. You got to be with us. And Jesus said, what? Get behind me, Satan. This is the same Peter who would act impulsively 
right? When Jesus is being taken away, he takes the Roman soldier's, like, sword and cuts off the guy's ear. And it's such a comical thing, okay? Because the guy's bleeding now, the ear's on the ground, all right? And Jesus walks over, and he's like, Peter, you all right? That... Peter, man, come on. It's so funny. Jesus heals his ear and then goes away with the people to die for us. It's unbelievable. It's that Peter that we're talking about that sends up to preach, right? It's the same one that said, I would die with you, Jesus. I'll go anywhere with you. And then he denies Christ three times. You know what's worse than denying Christ? If you follow that story, the third time that he denies Christ, it's from a little girl. He can't even speak the truth to a child about who he was and how much he loved Christ. That Peter... The one who was broken, the one who messed up, the one who was silent, the one who ran away, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and he preaches the perfect sermon. He traces the history of the prophets. He talks about the Messiah. And he says, that was Jesus of Nazareth, who you've crucified. And the peoples, it says, their hearts started to burn. And they said, what should we do, Peter? And he said, repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were saved on that day. They went from 120 to 3,000 in one sermon. It's unbelievable what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. It's unbelievable what, what we are capable of when God takes our lives and fills us with the Holy Spirit, transforms who we are, and we function as the people of God. That early church, then we get to Acts 2.42, right? They gave everything they had. They weren't just selfishly insular with themselves. They were out in the community, out in the world. They were giving. They were sacrificing. They literally changed the world. Those, those 12 disciples, which, who are now called apostles, went and, and died a martyr's death. They went to countries like India and Africa and Asia. And they spread the gospel of Christ in incredible ways. When the Holy Spirit shows up, sinners come to Repentance. Lives are changed. Callings are clarified. People are delivered. And we experience revival. That's a really loaded word. And I'm using it very sensitively. What I mean by that is that we experience a move of God that transforms us so that we can be the people of God. So the process that we see as we look at the upper room is that is that the upper room is a place of gathering, it's a place of waiting, and it's a place of receiving. But if I can be honest with you guys, and I think if we can be honest together as campus community, we're not very good at this. You see, instead of gathering together in our collective brokenness, when we're in a frustrated situation, when we feel like people don't have our back, or they're not listening, or things aren't changing, we start complaining. We start fighting. Many of us start quitting. And instead of leaning in together and gathering in our collective brokenness, we put on our fake smiles and saying that we're good and we're blessed and we continue to live on disbanded and disjointed. Instead of waiting patiently, we pray and say, God, will you do this? And God doesn't answer because he doesn't go by our own timeline. And when that happens, we say, okay, fine, God, I guess you're not real. I guess you're not there. I'm done. I'll turn to something else that, that, that lets me feel something, something else that I think will save me. And you guys know what that's like. I know what that's like. We don't wait on God nearly enough. And because of that, we don't receive. And so our faith falls and we doubt that God is faithful. We doubt that God is even present or that he even cares about our lives or this place. 
But praise be to God this morning that our God is gracious and that in the ways we fail, Christ did not. You see, there was a similar evening when Jesus gathered some of his friends and said, I need you to come with me. I need to go pray about something because something is coming and it's really, really heavy and it's really, really hard. Will you come and pray? And so he took his disciples and went into a garden, Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, I want you to wait, Terry here, while I go pray. Pray with me. And he started praying. And his friends, they they tried to hang with him, but they started falling asleep. But Jesus didn't quit. He stayed and prayed and waited. It said that that he was sweating tears tears of blood, and his sweat was like blood. And it says that he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will. If this cup could be moved, not my will, but your will. And he wrestled there all throughout the night. His friends were still sleeping. They couldn't wait. But Jesus, he waited. And in that moment, he somehow received the strength, courage, passion to get up from that place and to go to a cross and die for you and me. He gave his life so that you and I could have life, so that you and I could have hope, so that you and I could, could be connected to God again in a way that was severed because of our sin and brokenness. And when he cried, it was finished, the veil was torn. And, and when the veil was torn, it, it's, it's two things, right? One, that the holiness of God had now come out. It was going to be released in the world in an incredibly new way. But it also meant that we could go into God's own presence. And so this is why the reader of, writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 4.16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Look, we're his sons and daughters. And when we come to our heavenly father, Paul says in Romans that, look, who is there that condemns us? No one. Because Christ Jesus died and more than that, he was raised to life and he's now at the right hand of the throne of God and interceding for us. See, we have a high priest who knows exactly what you're going through, what I'm going through. He can sympathize with us. And he's there interceding. And when we enter into that throne room and we say, Lord, we need you, heaven hears and heaven moves. Now, what am I talking about? How does all this relate to ENC? How does all this relate to where we are? Listen, I hear so many things all the time. I hear things, good things. People are like, oh, the move of God is like something. God is doing something. I feel like the Holy Spirit is moving in a new way and, and God is starting to do, do stuff. And that's, that's great and positive. Then I hear things like, we don't have enough of this. We don't have enough of that. And you know what? Chapel would be much better if we had different songs or it'd be better if it wasn't so tight. You know, it'd be better if like, I don't know, the preaching was better. It'd be better if we had more fun things. And in all of this situation, no one ever says, J.D., what we really need is a move of the Holy Spirit. No one says what Eastern Nazarene College needs is for God to show up in a way that we haven't seen before. And if we're the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, we have access to a Father who loves us, who has great plans for each of you and us as a collective community. And this moment in time, this season, great things are about to happen, but we're, we're kind of in a rocky place. Transitions are happening. We're dealing with issues on campus between students, faculty, staff, administration. It's everywhere. I don't need to get into the clarity of that. You know that. And that's normal. But what I'm saying 
is that if those of you who start, who are starting to feel God move in a new way, that's not going to happen unless if we start coming together in prayer. It's not going to happen unless if you and I get united and have an upper room experience together. RJ, you can come. And so this is what I want to propose to you. I want us to have an upper room experience this semester. I know that this sermon, tough word for me to preach, tough word to hear. And it may not be for all of you, but I know that this will be for some of you. I know that even now the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. Some of you are like, J.D., I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what that looks like. It's easy. Just come before God and speak your heart. And I want us to call us, call us into a season of prayer, but not, not the kind of prayer where I'm saying you should go pray more for yourself. See, most of our experience, we pray whenever we need something from God or we pray whenever things are difficult. But I'm talking about praying for ENC. I'm talking about praying for this campus, the administration, the faculty, the staff, the students. I'm talking about what would it look like if we gathered together and had an upper room experience this year. Lone last story. I was at Lombardo's during homecoming. Some nice dinners, my very, very first one. It's always funny when I go there because most people think I'm a student, you know? It's like, oh, what year are you? And I'm like, no, I actually work at the school. They're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm one of the chaplains. They're like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. It's very interesting. It happens a lot. But as I started sitting there, it was, it was an incredible evening. It was an interesting evening. There was something that happened. We can talk about that in another sermon. But I started hearing stories way back, right? Oh, we did this. And, and do you remember that time when this happened? Do you remember that time when God did this and we did that? Oh, yeah, we did this. And, and there were all these amazing moments of celebration, right? Bud Reedy shared in Homecoming Chapel, if you were here, a story about his faithfulness. And he had that little shoe. And he was like, God, so many years ago was faithful to me. And I started thinking, what are you and I going to be remembered for? 20, 30 years from now. Are we going to be remembered as a group of people who, who were shaken when they were in transition, who couldn't gather because they were broken and fighting, who couldn't wait because they were impatient, and who didn't see God show up in any kind of way? Or could we be remembered as a group of people who gathered together and prayed until God showed up? up. Listen, you want your life to change? You want this school to change? What we need most of all is a move of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just kind of getting through it. Right? I read about scriptures and and there's joy and power and there's clarity and calling. And I feel like we're all kind of in this together collectively. What we really need, Richie talked about it. You guys got excited when he was here. It's a move of the Holy Spirit. We need God to change us. We want more holiness on this campus. That's not going to come through making rules or behavior modification. It's going to come when people feel repentant because they can't, they just can't live that way anymore. Jesus doesn't need any help. The Holy Spirit doesn't need any help. He can transform cities. 300, 400, 500, 600 people. It's nothing. And so I want to call us into a season of prayer. I want us to be remembered as the generation and the class and the group that prayed until something happened. Now, in the Old Testament, 
the, the priests used to like tear their robes, okay, and put on sackcloth and ashes. And that was their way of entering into a, a season with God. Now, I've done that once when I was praying, and it's just really awkward, okay? I was praying, and I like tore my shirt off, and it was just cold. <laughs> so I'm not talking about that, okay? We're not going to do that. But what I did was I, we had some T-shirts, and I cut them up into all these different little fragments. And I wrote on here three words, pray for ENC. And this is what I want you to do. The team is going to come back up. You guys can come up too. They're going to sing one song. And during this song of response, okay, if you are willing to commit with me, whether you're staff, faculty, visitor, student, if you're willing to commit with me in praying for this campus, not for yourself, not when you need help, but praying for ENC every single day, right? During this song, I want you to come up, grab one of these things, say a prayer on the altar and go back to your seat. And every day after this moment, whenever you see this piece of cloth, maybe it's, maybe it's in your room or it's in your bag, or maybe you hold it in your hand, but whenever you see it, I want you to pray for our campus. And, and it could be a five-second prayer, right? Oh, we don't have time, which is an ironic statement, because can you imagine if God didn't have time for us? Don't even let me start on that. That's another sermon. We'd be here forever. It could be, dear God, let your will be done on Eastern Nazarene College as it is in heaven. Dear God, bless the faculty who are sacrificing so much. They don't even make much money, but they're here because they love us. Dear God, bless the staff who sacrifice and spend hours cleaning up after us because we're not good. Dear God, bless the administration. Give them wisdom to make the right decisions, to create the right culture, to bring the right people. Just a word of prayer every single day. Let's be remembered as a generation, as the group of students, faculty, staff, that gathered and prayed. So 20, 30 years from now, you guys show up to homecoming and say, look, do you remember this? <laughs> do you remember what God did after that, even after we left? The lives that were changed, the missionaries that were called, the pastors that left, the doctors, lawyers, business people who went and changed those systems and brought the kingdom of God into the world. Do you remember this? And so as they sing, Come, say a prayer, take it with you, and let's pray for our campus. Let's gather, let's wait, and let's receive. Amen? Amen. Stand. Let's stand with me. just for sake of time but this space is going to be open if you want to continue to be here and pray you can let me pray for us let's pray Father God you love this place so much I'm so overwhelmed Lord when I realize that I thank you dear God that you love the people here your sons and daughters who you've called. God, you know their every need. You know their every struggle. God, you remind us, Lord, in moments like this that we're not alone. And so as we enter into this season of prayer, God, we stand on the authority of your word. You said that if your people, Lord, would humble themselves and pray, if we would call on you, Lord, if we would unite in prayer, that you would hear us that you would heal our land so God heal Eastern Nazarene College. 
and usher in a move of God, Lord, like, like nothing anyone has ever seen before. May we remember this moment, God, and the stories that come from this place. And when all is said and done, Lord, may we glorify you. Because you alone are worthy of all the praise. We love you and we thank you and we give you praise. And all God's people said, amen. You're welcome to stay, but you're dismissed. <laughs>